you can tell a bubble in a commodity or any kind of asset when an amateur with no training whatsoever can go out and do it and make a good profit. Because professionals tend to be able to do it better. And if an amateur can do it with no training whatsoever, as great, as smart as they might be, I mean, we talk about this in the housing market, when, when a doctor and an attorney buy a house and paint it yellow and then sell it for 50000 more than they bought it for because they painted it, that is the sign of a bubble because they didn't add any value to it. They don't have any ability or any uh, know-how to professionally add value to that thing. That means that you're in a bubble. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jeff and Jake McClure. I said your name for you. Just... You didn't give me a chance to say my name. Yeah. You can say your name if you want. Jeff. He has now said his name. I'll say your name too, Jeff. And I'm... Jeff, I could... Could say it completely, Jeff McClure. You want to say my name too, so that you're saying my no, name. No, that's okay. Me. Okay, no, you can say your name. Okay. Well, this is the personal wealth coach, and if you haven't figured out, we're a little weird. We're also bald. That's harder to figure out on the air, unless we tell you. That's why we're doing it, because this is all about full disclosure. The personal wealth coach is an economics radio program. What were you going to say? Full disclosure would be bald and bearded. Bald and bearded. So it's not fully bald. We're bald where people usually have hair and have hair where people are usually bald because we're contrarian that way. Mm. Yes. Uh, we are economists, the bald duo, uh, and together we will face into the future and quibble about uh, whether or not we think it's going to go this way, that way, or another way, or all three at the same time. We just had a nice long conversation about triple witching hour. To show you how weird we are. Yes. Triple witching hour. And uh, we used to be ambiguous. Uh, we're not ambiguous anymore. Well, maybe we are. Sorry. You see what, you see what I did there? I see what you did. I, I was going to tell a time travel joke, but you didn't think it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is... <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> you did. You got me on that one. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach. We are hopefully going to entertain as well as educate you on the world of finance uh, and uh, economics. But we have some disclosures to give, to be fully disclosed and naked standing before you all. Good thing it's on the radio or we'd have all kinds of complaints. Um, we need to work out more. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we... Uh, are not just a radio program, the personal wealth coach. There's also a pers the personal wealth coach, which is a registered investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Which does not imply in any way that they approve or disapprove of our actions. Well, it, it may imply that they disapprove of our actions, but it doesn't ever imply that they approve of our actions. This is something that should be aware, everyone should be aware, all government authorities any implication that they approve of anything is probably not right. I don't know. The FDA sometimes approves of something. They give an approval for release. Yeah, that's true. They are, they are approval related. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I guess any of the health authorities, they have to approve you to, to do it, but the agriculture department has to approve the meat and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Some, some authorities do actually give you thumbs up. Um, not the SEC. The SEC doesn't do that. The personal wealth coach as a firm, not as a radio program, gives fiduciary advice. We don't do that on the air because it defeats the entire definition of the word fiduciary. We have to actually know the person that we're talking to. And we may know you, but we probably don't know all of you. But we don't know that we know you. Yeah. And if we don't know that we know that we know all of you, then it's not fiduciary advice. Much less is it private. So we have to keep this private. has to be customized for you. So instead of advice, we're going to talk about sports. No. No, that would no, that no, would no, not, no, we're gonna, no. We're gonna talk. We're gonna educate. So this isn't considered advice. If you make a decision based on what we're talking about in this episode, it should be decisions to learn about what we're talking about before you make a decision in the market. This is we're trying to provide you with the tools to help your decision making go clearer, smoother, better, kinder. We have the technology. Boy, I just dated myself. Most of the Folks that heard, hear that and are like, what? what do you mean? Of course we have the technology. you got an iPad right here. Okay, so we've got another disclosure. Would you like to give that one? The information that we have and present on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. We make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. Or unsaid information. We really cannot guarantee the completeness of information we don't tell you. That's a really good disclosure. We should say that on all of our information. You, you are a little too feisty this morning. It is important that we make sure everyone knows that if we didn't tell them, them about it, then we can't guarantee anything about it. It's true. Good. I'm glad you, I'm glad yes. you made that point. And those of you not listening to us right now can't hear us anyway. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so those are our disclosures. What happened this week? We had an interesting week. Uh, For those of you that paid any attention at all, it was interesting. The stock market behaved very oddly on Friday, unless you take into account the fact that it was a triple witching day. And we're not even—I'm not even going to try to explain what a triple witching Uh, day is. I can explain that after we're done with the news. Well, okay. All right. Triple witching day, things are weird. Let me explain what was weird about the market before we explain why it was weird. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's explain what's weird before we say what's weird. When the market drops, which it did on Friday, as a matter of fact, virtually all of the drop for the week, the market was actually down 1.9. The S&P 500 was down 1.91% for the week. The Dow Jones was down 3.45. When the market drops like that, the NASDAQ almost inevitably drops a lot more than the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 drops more than the Dow. In this case, the Dow dropped the most, the S&P 500 dropped the second most, and the NASDAQ didn't hardly drop at all, which indicates something weird was going on out there. And there was, in other words, it wasn't really a sell-off because investors said, hey, I want to sell stocks. Something else totally was going on. Now, the news media, which we reported in the newsletter, very boldly and continued this morning to say that it was because on Wednesday the Fed held a press conference and Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, said one of these days we might, we're talking about the beginning of talking about when we are going to start talking about when one of these days we might actually stop buying 
$120 billion worth, $120 million worth of bonds a day uh, on the open market. And when we might stop lowering interest rates and start raising them just the tiniest bit, maybe in 20, late 2020, 22, according to Bullard, who's one of the members of the Federal Reserve Board who doesn't get a vote, or 2023, which is what everybody else is saying. So he talked about that just a little bit on Wednesday. On, on Wednesday. They didn't do anything on Wednesday. Theoretically, according to the news media, the drop in the market on Friday was because of the news conference on Wednesday, which doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any more sense than the fact that the NASDAQ dropped less than the other two indices. Until but, and unless you look at what else was going on in the market. But can you, can you talk about the rest of the metrics, and then we'll talk about what triple witching is, because... It sounds spooky, and it's a lot of fun to talk about spooky stuff. The people on the, the discussion in the news media that has to do with what's going, what's being discussed in the brokerage firms and what's being discussed by the traders, is they're scared. And this is kind of weird. They, they actually were afraid that the Fed was going to bring inflation out of control too soon. Oh, no. Uh, no. And they actually, the, the, the idea that they would raise rates in 2023 was a bit of a surprise. And theoretically, that scared the traders. Now, but the interesting point is, and we point this out in the newsletter, a month ago, almost exactly, we had a drop of almost exactly the same amount in the same indices. Only then, it, the credit was given to the fact that traders thought that the Federal Reserve was asleep at the switch and would miss inflation and not bring it under control. So they reversed their, theoretically reversed their logic in a week. And what it boils no, down to, it's kind of it, like... It's the people that were scared last week we're not scared last week. We're scared this week. It's kind of like medicine. Have you ever talked seriously to a doctor about a new drug that came out, the new wonder drug to do something, whatever it may be? He'll discover that in most cases, the drug was not developed to do what it's doing and it's being marketed for. And they're really proud of the fact that it does it. It was developed for something else completely. And then they noticed that coincidentally, people in the trials got better for some, from something that they never intended to be treated for. And that's where all of the erectile dysfunction drugs came from. Well, this isn't really helping anybody's heart, but this side effect seems really interesting. Yeah. It was intentionally, the erectile dysfunction drugs were originally intended to be blood pressure lowering drugs, <laughs> but they had a side effect and they now are marketed for their side effect. Yeah. Anyway. The market is pretty much the same thing. The market does something, and then the traders kind of get together over cocktails or whatever or start talking to each other and say, why did the market did that? And they reach a consensus as to why the market did it, which may have absolutely nothing to do with why the market behaved the way it did, particularly when it's moving in small percentages. Mainly the reason the market dropped was because a lot of people started selling stocks and, and, and dealing with options. And then a lot of people saw that that was resulting in a net loss in the market, and they decided to sell. But there wasn't any reasoning behind. There wasn't any. There really wasn't an underlying reasoning behind the selling. Matter of fact, the old saying, which we credit to John Templeton, but it might have been somebody earlier than him, "A bull market climbs a wall of worry," is a true statement. And you get these wobbles. They're not. They're not corrections. They're wobbles. You have to get to ten percent to be a correction. But it's still, they're going to be in there. And as long as we get these fear waves that sweep across the market, you're actually in pretty good shape. As we've said on many occasions, when there is no fear, when everybody is convinced that the market will go up forever and this could go on forever and it's different this time and we've entered a new age of something or another, that's when you need to be concerned and think, okay, we've gone into craziness. 
Not to mention, not to say that there's not some craziness out there. Anyway, yeah. And some another effect that might have uh, taken, might have hit the market is the fact that uh, Bitcoin and others have lost thirty percent in some cases, fifty percent in some cases, a hundred percent. Tesla is down thirty percent. Basically, a lot of the people who bought a lot of the what's called meme stocks, the hot stocks, the ones that are were went up hundreds of percent earlier and in and in, in last year decided they wanted to sell them. And once a few started to sell, a lot of people started to sell. So we're getting a bit of a we're getting a bit of a market crash, but only in a very tiny piece of the market. And uh, that's a good thing. It's working off some of the fringe craziness. Yeah, it's the parts the, of the market that deserved to be knocked down that got knocked down, which is good. And there's another side of the market, the the bond market, that's just as uh, actually more complex than the stock market. Here we are talking about the Fed raising interest rates. Talk, they're talking about talking about talking about raising interest rates at some point in the future. And the Treasury note yield, the ten-year Treasury note yield. Fell to 1.47437 percent. It was 1.6 percent before the Fed announcement. Now, why would the Fed? Why would the interest rate on a yield on the or the yield on a on a Treasury note, ten-year Treasury note? You buy it's loaning the government money for ten years. What interest rate do you demand? Why would it fall if the Fed was talking about raising rates at some point in the next couple of years? And the answer is, the inflation factor. In the Treasury note is being whittled away pretty quickly. There's three things that generate the rate of return in there. One is inflation factor. One is term premium. If you're going to keep my money that long, you need to pay me something for it. And one is the underlying interest rate. The underlying interest rate actually went up a little bit. The real interest rate went up just a little bit. But the um, inflation factor is being whittled away because the Fed sounds like they're pretty serious about it. And all in all, what we're trying to say is the market behaved very healthily this week, even though it was down a little bit. Uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil turned in its fourth consecutive week of gains, rising to $71.55 a barrel. And there are no supply shortages. It's strictly on increasing demand, which means the economy is doing quite well. So across the board, and and, uh, OPEC is pumping more oil than usual at the same time. So prices are going up. Pumping is going up. This is this is. This isn't necessarily the world waking up from the pandemic, but it's definitely the United States waking up from the pandemic. The world has is still kind of snoozing because the vaccines aren't anywhere near as widely distributed elsewhere than they are in the United States. One of the things we need to pay attention to on this day, it's important, we've crossed the 600,000 dead in the United States from COVID line. Yeah. There Four more people died in Bell County this week. It is this thing has not gone away. By the way, we're hearing anecdotally from people at the hospitals that the people who are in the hospital and are probably dying right now are not old people. Yeah. They're in their thirties and forties. And they didn't get vaccinated because they thought they were safe and they're dying. As a matter of fact, the last several that have died have been in their thirties and forties. This new Delta variant is present. And I would encourage you that if you haven't gotten your vaccination, it's a good idea to get it because that thing is out there. And and yes, the probability of it killing you is fairly small, but the probability of you being killed in a car wreck because you weren't wearing your seatbelt is very small, too. But you wear your seatbelt anyway. Because the probability being small, if you do it enough times, it gets higher over time. Yep. Yeah. So those are those are important. The big kind of underneath in the 
background, maybe on top. I don't know. It's hard to talk three-dimensional about a concept. What happened yesterday, Friday? Well, there's a couple of things that, that took place yesterday. Number one, it's a new federal holiday. Happy Juneteenth, everybody. Happy um, Juneteenth to you. I did. I decided that the, the business, most businesses should be closed today. The banks should be closed today. Yes. So we've decided that all banks that are open on Saturday will be closed. The Senate unanimously passed this bill to make Juneteenth a holiday. It's, it's maybe one of the best reasons to have a holiday is what happened on Juneteenth. So it's pretty fantastic that we've got a holiday for it. The timing on it was a little weird because they passed it this week. And the president signed it into law on June 17th. But the holiday this year was on the 18th because 19th falls on a Saturday. So the day before a holiday is supposed to occur, it's announced as a new thing. So everybody take tomorrow off is basically the thing. It caused a lot of confusion. The regulators of the stock market said, well, we can't. We can't turn the switch off that fast because tomorrow is triple witching. And this caused a lot of people in Congress to scratch their head and say, this is witchcraft. What's going on around here? Um, it's not witchcraft. It's just kind of a cool name. It's kind of a spooky name. What is triple witching? Um, why, why couldn't they close the market for a federal holiday on short notice? I mean, we did actually close the market for two weeks after 9-11, and that didn't have any notice. I mean, that's obviously it was a structural thing that had to happen. Triple witching is one of those things that if somebody's been around the market very long, they've maybe heard that term and then they're informed at how crazy convoluted it is. And then they say, I don't even want to know what that is. Simple answer to what is triple witching. It's when stock options, stock index futures, and stock index options all have expiration dates at the same time, on the same day. It happens four times, the day, uh, four times a year. It's the end of the quarter, uh, March, June, September, and December, and it's the third Friday. So why is it third Friday? Because there are weekly options that expire on Fridays. There are monthly options that tend to expire on a third Friday of the month because sometimes that's as many Fridays as you have in a month. And then there's the quarterly options that'll expire at the same time. So these triple witchings are actually much more than that. You've got different expiration periods expiring at the same time as well. Why is that even important? It sounds just like a bunch of jargon and mumbo jumbo. What is it? Well, stock options aren't just gambling devices. They're actually some decision on whether or not you want to buy or sell something of actual value in the future. Stock index futures and stock index options, however, are not that. Easiest way to describe them, it's legal gambling. And it fits every piece of the criteria you can imagine for gambling. You're betting that a number will be above a certain other number. And if it is, you get paid money or you're betting it's going to be below that number. And if it, when you bet, you get paid money. There's no ownership of any underlying stock or bond. You're not actually buying or selling a security at the end of this. You're just getting paid winnings. So what does it mean that these contracts have the same expiration date? Well, it's kind of like a lottery ticket. 
if you don't collect your lottery ticket by the expiration date, it goes bad. You don't get any money. So these contracts have that kind of expiration date. Only unlike the lottery, if you're winning, if you've won some money and it's not the end of the expiration yet, you have the possibility of maybe winning more money. So if, you're, if you've won some money and you're waiting to see if you win any more money as you're waiting right up to the end, what's the likely action just before your lottery ticket expires? You go and collect your money, hopefully, or you've just lost out on any winnings. Well, that's what happened yesterday in the options market. And it affects some of those underlying securities. We had a lot of volatility. And if you look at the third Friday of March, June, September, and December, and you go back as far back as you want to look, you're going to see something amazing. It's bumpier. There was the second highest number of, of contracts expiring yesterday of all time. Over 150 million different contracts were set to expire yesterday. So there was a lot of selling and a lot of buying that took place yesterday, mostly selling to get the money from the winnings on these contracts. We're not going to go into the in intricacies of options and whether or not you're buying or selling the options, whether or not you're borrowing the money to buy and sell the options or any of the other. It gets quite complicated and it is dangerous if you don't understand it. It's dangerous if it's you sometimes do dangerous understand. if you do understand <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. It is it is gambling and professional gamblers sometimes have long losing streaks. They hopefully don't stay professional if their losing streaks are forever. Uh, unless they have money from something else. And that's the point here is that the reason why you didn't see in the headlines about the big drop in the market on Friday being due to triple witching is because it would take more than the whole article just to explain what triple witching is. Uh, suffice to say, people have to close out those contracts before they go bad, before they expire. If they don't close them out, any winnings they have are now gone. They just gone. Nothing. This is hard to explain to people who are used to buying into the market in what we consider the proper way of doing it, where you're actually owning something. You own a thing, not just you own a expiring thing that may or may not allow you to collect money. So hopefully that was less confusing than other definitions of triple witching. Uh, but we also have double witching and quadruple witching. Uh, quadruple witching isn't just when stock options, stock index futures and stock index options expire. There's a, there is an additional bit that occurs there. It, it's when, oh, oh yeah, it's commodities options expiring at the same time. Um, there's so, a whole new story. There's a whole different story there, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so commodities behave for the squirrel, squirrelily. That's an, I just made that word up. Squirrelily. Squirrelily. There's, there's like this, a, this a, week. a flower and a squirrel combined. It's a squirrel. Yeah. Early. Yes. Yeah. That's a good word. I like it. So commodities acted funny too. You want to talk about that? Well, the big thing is that lumber dropped by about a third in the last week or so, mm -hmm. which is really loud if you hear all those boards dropping at the same time. Bang! To the point where people who were, who were, who were hoarding lumber, I don't know if you realize this, it's kind of like toilet paper. Yeah. 
builders particularly and home improvement people were hoarding lumber as the price went up because you just couldn't get some certain cuts of wood. Just as a side note, that's part of the reason why the price was going up as fast as it was is because people were scared that the prices were going to keep going up. So they bought more of it, which caused the price to go up. Yep. And now the prices are plunging and they realize that they've got all this lumber and they don't have enough people to build the houses with. They were planning on building housing builds have slowed down a little bit. And now they're trying to sell at the same time everybody else is trying to sell. So the price of lumber, is, it's still high relative to history, but it's been dropping rather precipitously. The, That's uh, one of the reasons you have to be, we have to be careful about looking around and seeing something happening, like the price of copper going up, which is generally a bellwether for the rest of the world economy, or the price of lumber, or the price of oil. Oil is a little more consistent because it's so, it's so, it's so liquid, literally. But commodities shortage and the commodities another another fact in the commodities shortage that is alleviated part of it is china decided that commodities raw materials were getting a little too expensive so they take they're taking their reserves and selling them on the open market which panicked a lot of commodities traders and started they started selling uh so what we're seeing is these 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 weird effects that are coming after the pandemic I shouldn't say after the pandemic, the pandemic is still going on as a result of the pandemic are starting to work themselves out in the other direction right now. And those are the underlying, many of those are the underlying cause of the inflation that we're seeing right now. So the relief from inflation that the Fed has said is coming is already on the way, apparently. Yeah. And there's predictions on, let me kind of give some numbers on the, on the lumber side of things. And this is according to fact set. Uh, Wall Street Journal's reporting it. The, at the peak here, uh, we were right around $1,600, a little over $1,600 per thousand board feet. That is significantly higher than like the 2015 to 2019 averages on board uh, for a thousand board feet was about $334. So to be up at, at $1,600, you're talking about just a little bit over five times the price of what the long-term average has been on this. And uh, we're down now at the end of the week to uh, just over $1,000 per thousand board feet, which is only about three times the normal average, but it's dropped significantly. It's dropped about uh, more than 30% from the top. Uh, And the prediction across the industry is that we're going to be back in the mid to low $400 per thousand cubic feet uh, starting board feet, feet, uh, not cubic feet. Yeah. That would be way, way more um, per board feet starting in mid 2022. So what they're seeing is that the lumber mills are, are cranking up and they have expanded a bit though. They're not buying, they're not building new mills. They have expanded existing mills. And so they're cutting wood faster. Why is this important? Because it's something that we said was going to happen because it's based on human nature. Uh, When things get expensive, people find ways of making a profit and selling those things that are expensive. How do you get more of it if it's expensive? The gold rush that took place in the early uh, 2010 era where, I mean, Discovery Channel Channel had a whole thing called Gold Rush and they had reality television of people all running out into the wilderness to go and... Uh, hack at the ground to see if they could find some of the gold metal. And why, why was that a reality television show? Because the price for gold was way up. 
you can tell a bubble in a commodity or any kind of asset when an amateur with no training whatsoever can go out and do it and make a good profit. Because professionals tend to be able to do it better. And if an amateur can do it with no training whatsoever, as great, as smart as they might be, I mean, we talk about this in the housing market, when, when a doctor and an attorney buy a house and paint it yellow and then sell it for 50000 more than they bought it for because they painted it, that is the sign of a bubble because they didn't add any value to it. They don't have any ability or any uh, know-how to professionally add value to that thing. That means that you're in a bubble. Prices are just going up because the prices are going up. And that's lumber. We had this big demand. And then because of the demand, it's very much like toilet paper here. And that people saw it was going, so they bought more of it, which caused it to go faster. Uh, and we're catching up the same way we did with toilet paper. Lumber is still considerably more expensive than it was last year, and it's probably going to stay that way for a while. Right. Uh, and the reason we say that is that Fannie Mae estimated in April that the U.S. is about 3.8 million houses short, short of meeting demand. Yeah, and I've seen other estimates that say it's more like 5 million houses yeah. short. Well, that was that was a lobbying group and. I question them sometimes. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like when AARP comes out and says, Americans overwhelmingly disapprove of cutting Social Security. Yeah, probably true. true, but AARP might have some skin in the game on that one. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So somewhere between three and five million houses that are needed to be built right now that aren't in existence yet. So there's a whole, there's a whole subject matter there, by the way, cutting Social Security. By the way, we haven't told people how to contact us. Oh, yeah. Why would they want to do that, though? I don't know. If you'd like to contact us on the air while we're talking and send us a message and we'll respond to it on the air, you can email us at either jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com, or you can do both of them. Yeah. That's jake or jeff at tpwc.com. The personal wealth coach or Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie, and I only say that because I like to say whiskey, Charlie. Charlie? Yeah. Tango. Yes. You like to say, well, your kids like to say Papa. They do. They call you Papa, as a matter of fact. They do. It works out pretty well. We got what all else is going on in the market. All kinds of stuff. There's one more thing, kind of throw this in there. It's kind of fascinating watching what's going on in the world right now, um, kind of across the board. We've talked in the past few weeks about how it's harder and harder to do business abroad. Uh, we went through several decades in the 90s and then the early 2000s of borders opening up and free trade, moving closer and closer and closer to free trade so that if you wanted to buy something somewhere, you could buy it and then sell it somewhere else. And it was really easy to do. And then privacy laws uh, started being enacted and regulations on banking from one country to another uh, started being enacted so that, you know, people were saying, you're evading taxes in our country, you're taking your money to Switzerland, or you're taking your money to Ireland, or to the Caribbean islands somewhere to put your money there. So the U.S. government started passing laws saying, you got to tell us if you're a bank and you want to do any business in the United States at all, you need to tell us if you have an American customer and we need to be able to look at your bank, your bank books. 
so that we know how much money they have there and if they pay taxes on it. Which caused a lot of banks to say, I don't, I'm not taking any more American customers. We don't want to open up all our books to the IRS. We're not an American company. Other countries have done the same thing where they're saying, hey, if you have a European customer, then you cannot hold the data on that European customer anywhere other than if your server is not based in the European Union, you can't hold the data or you can't do business with them. And they have some teeth backing those regulations. They can sue in courts and actually get a lot of money out of people. Uh, so we're, we're moving, the, this kind of pendulum moves back and forth, free trade, not so free trade. And we, with the trade war, the pendulum has swung about as far over to the right, right not being a political spectrum, just a vague direction that a pendulum might swing, swing as far over as it was during the uh, 1990s and early 2000s on the other side for free, it's moving more and more toward if you cross a border electronically, then you violated some kind of rule somewhere. It's just nice to keep that in mind, that there are a lot of changes going on when we talk about supply chains and we talk about uh, demands causing spikes and not enough supply. You know, we talk about computer chip manufacturing and a big company in Taiwan being the the one of the largest manufacturers, and but they're capable of manufacturing enough. The border issues are really important when trade is so global. One of the other things that we've talked about quite a bit over the last several weeks is that we're bringing the supply chain home, which is not bettering that small world thing. It's not making a bigger world. It's just saying bringing home the supply chain means that the people that are buying it here have less likelihood of a long supply chain that wraps all over the planet and has chains leading everywhere. One link breaking causes the entire thing to shut down. It can work, but we're moving in the right direction with automation. What you, You've got your finger up. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that I thought was particularly good about companies that have retained their supply chains in the United States are having the same supply problems that the right. ones that have outside the United States. Yeah. Just because the supply chain doesn't go to China doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble with the supply chain. Uh, the, the supply chains in the United States are overloaded too. And in some cases, you think your supply chain is all in the United States and you discover, for example, there was an article where there was a dye for the leather for, for sofas that this company was trying to make, but the dye came from outside the United States, which is not unusual because weird dyes come from different places. And when you say dye, you're not meaning like the tool that's used to press into the leather to make a shape. You mean, I mean the, the pigment tool to change the color, right? Or not not someone expiring. And it's okay. kind of like it's kind of like computer chips. You can have a car that's made 100 percent in the United States, except maybe one computer chip in there that's vital to run the car is made in Taiwan, which is not unusual. And, and in some cases, the ones that are the Taiwanese companies that make the computer chips have factories in the United States. It's really weird. It is a, in, we are in a global economy, whether we like it or not. And it's very going to stay global. There's just no way in the world we can make everything ourselves. And, th th and even if we did make everything ourselves, it would slow things down. Right, exactly. I mean, when you think about a, an American car, 
Uh, if you have an American car, where did the steel come from? Well, about 25 to 30 percent, and that changes month by month, day by day, of the steel in the United States is imported. We still make between 70 and 75 percent of our own steel. So you're like, all right, well, that means at least three quarters of the steel was made here, right? Well, yeah, except no. we, we only mine about 6% of our iron here. So the steel's still imported, at least the ingredients for the steel are imported. And this is when you talk about a supply chain. The supply chain goes all the way out to the dirt. And where did the dirt come from that has the iron in it? And that means that the more restrictions we have at the borders, the more things will cost across the board. One of the things that came up that came up with somebody I was talking to not very long ago, and I said only about 6% of the iron that we use in the United States is, man, is actually dug out of the ground in the United States. Well, we should have more iron mines here. And I said, how much of the United States do you want to dig up? How many national parks, national forests do you want to dig up to get to the mine, right. get and to this, the iron? This is the thing is that we have lots of iron here. Even if you don't want to go to federal land, there's, there's plenty of iron in the United States. You just got to make some big holes in the ground. Right. You have big, to, big holes in the ground. You have to dig for it. And that makes it uh, so that people look at it and, then, and you have the opportunity of making our water less drinkable. And so we've exported that and said, let's make other people's water less drinkable. So technology needs to be there to make the mining process safer if we want more mining in the United States. Because the reality is we could say, well, let's just do it. Let's bring the mining back here. It'll be good jobs and so on. Except that nobody wants it in their backyard. Yeah, put it in Nevada or something. Or Oh, you could. we could do it here. We just have to approximately triple the cost of a car. Yeah. You want to pay three times what you're paying for a car. And the reason Capitalism, why... Capitalism, that's, that's anti-capitalism. Yeah, because you have to pay people more to do dangerous work. In the United in the States. United, yeah. Not everywhere. And that's the point, because that's why it's cheaper to buy it from somewhere else, even though it's heavy and you have to ship it. Because it's cheaper because you don't have to pay them for doing dangerous work. Well, there's some problems with that. If you think about the ethics and morality of it, you could say, oh, that's a problem. If you're thinking just economics, it makes sense. The supply chain issue is a lot more complicated than people think it is. When we say we're bringing home the supply chain... <laughs> It depends on what you mean by the supply chain and how far up the chain we're bringing home. If you'd like to talk to us on the air, um, or at least ask us a question, our email addresses in here are jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. We'll be back on the other side. And we're back with more of the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. Do you have anything important to talk about? Because I've got a lot of unimportant stuff. Well, I got uh, some good news. It may be worth mentioning even twice. Federal Reserve, you, if you listen to the Federal Reserve speech, which I have and I've read them. You, you are obviously a nerd if you're listening to speeches given by the Federal Reserve. Wow. Me too. Members of the, the federal, members Me of the too. Federal Reserve Board have reached a consensus that GDP in the United States will grow by about seven percent in 2021. That is astonishing—a seven percent growth GDP. Now consider that we are already well past the GDP level that we were in before the pandemic, and we've already—we've probably right about mid, probably this month, 
we crossed over the trend line that we would have been on had there been no pandemic. And we still got a lot of growth in GDP. As a matter of fact, Moody's is forecasting the second quarter, which has only got a couple of weeks left in it now. Second quarter GDP will come in at about 10.5% on an annualized basis. That's going to be astonishing. The last time we saw this kind of GDP growth was coming out of the recession in 1982 when Ronald Reagan was president. And it was called the Reagan boom at the time. And, and we're, we're headed into an economic boom that most of us have not seen in our adult lifetimes. Well, I have, but that's all right. Um, Wait, you've got a, that's not really fair. You've had a much longer adult lifetime than a lot of people. I have. But we've, the last time we saw this was in, the, actually, there's a parallel of what's going on now, and it's when we came out of World War II. Uh, we had a tremendous GDP growth in the 1950s, coming at late 1940s, early 1950s, coming out of World War II. And not greatly different. We saw a lot of the side effects uh, of, of GDP growth that we're seeing today. We saw critical shortages in the supply chain. We saw difficulty in getting things. We saw prices jump up. And inflation in the late 40s, early 50s went up pretty high. It went up around 5%. But then it dropped back because it was temporary. There's a difference between two kinds of inflation that we can get. There is the kind of inflation that's caused by a wage price spiral, where prices go up, which makes unions and, and workers demand higher wages, which makes them spend more money, which causes prices to go up because of limited supply. The other kind of inflationary burst, and it tends to be very short-term, is generated by strictly by temporary supply shortages. Temporary supply shortages in a capitalist system, and we do have a capitalist system, tend to be overcome because as things get more expensive, more people buy into them. It's like oil. Or lumber um, or toilet paper. Yeah. People tend to invest, and we have a in business investment rate they're going so far this year that looks about 15 or 16%. That's, that's equipment business, business equipment I'm talking about, not building new buildings. This is an indication that businesses are taking this growth very seriously and they're investing a tremendous amount of money. 15% growth in business investment is really impressive. In short, it still looks very much like the Roaring Twenties is, is upon us. Are upon us? Is upon us? The Roaring Twenties are upon us? I think, that is I think it's are upon us, yeah. But the, 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 this decade will probably parallel the 1920s in its growth and it's even in its craziness. Uh, the stock craziness and the cryptocurrency craziness is part of that. Right. Uh, here's an example. Um, we got some numbers that came out this week on uh, retail sales. Um, it, it, this is the, the jargon has changed in economics. So it says, re, this is in the Wall Street Journal. This is amazing to me. Retail sales dropped in May. Does that mean like a record drop? No, no it actually means that the graph went down. Uh, man, I was hoping that they were like getting into the in entertainment jargon. We're dropping on retail sales. No, that's not a good thing. Anyway, what, what's going on in retail sales? Retail sales fell in May, which sounds like really bad news because it, when we're talking retail sales, it's retail and food service sales. Wait, isn't this the area that we're harping about being so good? This is horrible that it's dropped. The yeah, but it only scale, dropped 1.3%. Yeah, the scale of the drop is important. It only came down 1.3%. And when we're looking at the numbers, it's important to go back pre-pandemic. What were we spending month by month pre-pandemic? 
So if you're looking February of 2020, we were spending around $525, $526 billion with a B a month in the United States on retail spending and, and restaurant stuff, food service. So $526 billion. Then the pandemic hit. And in the second month of the pandemic in April, so March was bad. It dropped a lot. In April, it was really bad. We were down to $410 billion. So that's a $127 billion drop. That is like a 20% drop in retail spending. That's horrible. And then it went up the following month, but still way below what it was before. By the fourth month of the pandemic, we were back up to what we were pre-pandemic on retail and food spending, which is a little bit interesting. We, we had... Um, four good months where we were spending a lot less. So then maybe you have some pent up de demand and so on. But if you go back to 526 billion pre-pandemic, then in June of last year, we were right back at the same number. And then it went up from there. And then this year, it's jumped drastically. So in April, which is the peak so far, it was up to 629 billion. Pre-pandemic, it was... 527. So it's a hundred billion dollars more monthly than what we were spending before the pandemic hit. That's and if it hadn't been for the computer chip shortages, it, it wouldn't have dropped more. at all. Right. It, yeah, exactly. So when we say this 1.3% drop, when we're talking about that as a drop, it's only a drop in comparison to what it was the month before. Because when you really go back very far, we are so so much higher on the spending side than we were. 20% increase in spending over what we were pre-pandemic. That's not long-term sustainable, just as a side note. We are going to go through our, our gathered up cash uh, that we've been hoarding and scrimping on in, during the pandemic. If we're spending 20% more on retail stuff long-term, that all is going to go away, which... This is kind of the end point of this is that if people start building their enterprises based on the existing demand, the demand today, this is part of the reason why the supply chains are getting weird because the demand's a lot more than it was before and the supply chain was stretched then. I noticed you were out yesterday confirming the 9% rise in theme park visitations. Yes, I went to a water park yesterday and it was very wet. We tried going to a restaurant yesterday and we found it was jammed. Right. Actually, we tried going to a restaurant on Wednesday, and it was jammed, was it a which is unusual. Was it a jelly restaurant? Nope. Then it doesn't make any sense for it to be jammed. Well, it was full of people. Ew, people jam. Yep. Yuck. Yuck. Basically, the economy is coming back like gangbusters, and I don't know what gangbusters is. That's something from the 1920s again. Yeah, where you go out and kill a bunch of bandits with machine, machine guns. Machine guns. Yeah, yeah. gangbusters. But the point is, the economy is roaring ahead. It's doing exceptionally well, and it's got a lot of momentum and a lot of cash behind it, and a lot of people looking to buy things or just a shortage of things to buy. Right. And we're about out of time for this hour. We've got more and interesting. Maybe, maybe we'll switch up next hour and actually be entertaining. Um, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we have voicemail during the weekend, real live people answering during the week locally at... 
254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com and listen to recordings of the radio program going back lots of years. You can find podcasts anywhere. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter and contact us on the webpage as well. Uh, or you can email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Thanks for listening and putting up with our eco jargon for an hour. We'll be back next hour with more of the Personal Wealth Coach.